You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. Welcome to SciFair Christian Church. My name is Donna, and I'm part of the staff here at CFCC. And if you will at this time, please stand and find someone to greet. If you're a guest here this morning, we extend a special welcome to you. Our um, welcome team has a special gift for you in the foyer, so please stop by, pick up a special bag of goodies they have for you. Um, We'd like to share with you some of the things that are going on at the church. We have a summer packed full of really great events. If you have a child, this is the time, you guys, that you start really bugging your parents about the things you want to do that you see in your bulletin. When I was little, we used to circle the Sears catalog of the things that we wanted for Christmas and birthdays. You can do this in the bulletin and circle these things because VBS is coming up. We have Tanglewood Church Camp coming up. There's Triumph Sports Camps coming up. There's just a ton of great things coming up. Um, VBS theme this year is called Roar. And it is something that you will not want to miss either as a student or as a volunteer. There's still opportunities to help volunteer. Um, The team meets every Wednesday night, putting together props, different things. No talents needed. Travis has got all kind of things that we can help him put together. So if you're available, would love your help. Um, If not, there's opportunities to serve in areas of crew leaders, kitchen help, and um, it's just something you you will not regret. Um, We also have a lot of Engage events for the students coming up this summer, and they're listed in your bulletin. And I just got word that the ladies' Bible study is sending me the details of their summer events. And there's things like bingo, movie nights. It's, there's something like every other week going on. So there's a ton of opportunities to get involved. So again, read through there and find a way to, to get connected. There's lots of, lots of great opportunities. Each week we come to this time in the service, a time where we worship our great God through giving. And um, Paul speaks about the attitude um, in which we give. He speaks about the generosity with which we give. Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Let's pray. Father, we do worship you, our great God. We worship you, our coming king. Father, we thank you that you have paid an incredible price. Your generosity flowed freely when you purchased our freedom. Father, may we give generously. May we worship you through giving. May we not give out of guilt. May we not give because we feel we're being pushed 
Father, may we be cheerful givers. And Father, we know that you will pour out grace to us. We know you will provide for us. Father, we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I hope you're doing well. Um, glad to be with you again today. Uh, we are continuing in our series, Come to the Table. And uh, actually, today we are concluding our sermon series. And uh, this has been a really, really challenging one for me. It's been a very enlightening one for me. It's been a very uh, exciting series for me in a lot of ways. And, um, and so today we are concluding this one and um, we're going to be starting a, a couple of other new series here in the coming days. But um, I'm excited to close this one out. I have to tell you, I have to just confess here that food is one of my love languages. You know, there's experts out there who believe that each of us have like one or two love languages in which we uh, sort of give love and receive love. And food is definitely um, one of mine. They don't typically include food in that list, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is, this is actually a real one. Um, uh, as I've grown older, you know, like making food is one of the ways in which I like to, to show love to people I care about. I've, in, I've enjoyed kind of getting to know uh, how to cook some meals and gathering together with friends and family. And I, man, I love to eat. I have a couple of favorite meals. I have a couple of, um, a couple of favorite, I got to let you in on a, another little secret here. So I have, there are, uh, there are people in the congregation here today that think that they make my favorite dessert. And what I need to confess to you today is that that is true. You make my favorite dessert, but they're all different. <laughs> so I have, there's people in the congregation who, who think that they make my favorite. And, and then there's another person who thinks that they make my, my favorite. And so I've sort of like worked the game. So I have all of these people making my favorite desserts for me. I love to eat food, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. Um, you, in the very you know beginning when Paige and I first got married, we didn't we really didn't know how to cook. It was something that we sort of grew into, and it's something that that I, I I've sort of learned how to do. My my wife is a, is a good cook now, but I just want to I just want to be real. In the beginning, in the in the very beginning, it was a little rough for both of us. It was honestly a little rough for both of us. But what we found with with Paige was she was actually using the smoke alarm for a timer. So once we figured that out, everything changed. Everything changed. She's actually, uh, she makes my favorite dessert. Um, she, does, she actually makes two killer desserts, an awesome, like the best cheesecake you've ever had and the best key lime pie you've ever had. I promise you, I'm not, I'm not just making that up. My point is that um, I, I believe that God gave us this gift of food as such a blessing. Think about this, okay? In the average human, you have 10,000 taste buds on your tongue. 10,000 taste buds. Now, think about that. Like, 
God could have just given us food for fuel, right? For like sustenance to like keep us alive. But he gave us 10,000 taste buds in which we could enjoy all of these different kinds of flavors, all of these different types of, of meals and actually enjoy. I mean, scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? He, he uses food as an example of how good he is. And so I'm like, again, becoming increasingly convinced that not only is food one of my love languages, but it's, it's one of God's love languages. I mean, he, he loves meals at the table, We've talked over this, this whole series but has been built around meals that God had with his people around the table, that Jesus had with his people uh, around a table. Because those meals and that table is more than just sort of a, a place, uh, to, again, to just fuel our bodies. The table is a place where we connect. It's a place where we form relationships. It's a place where we understand one another at a deeper level. And last week, we, we talked about the, the two places in Scripture, two of the, the, the most important moments in Scripture actually happen around a table, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And we're going to kind of continue with this here today. We, we discussed how God created us for the table. And you may say, that's kind of a weird statement. And what I mean by the table is that God created us for, he created us for relationship with him. His original intent was for us to to have an intimate understanding and knowing of God, to be known and to know him. So he created us for this, this kind of table fellowship. But when that all fell apart, he had to redeem us back. And so his purpose in redeeming us was to redeem us back to the table. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit more here today, specifically with the Lord's Supper. There's so much to unpack here with the Lord's Supper. We talked about it last week, and we're going to dive in a little bit deeper here today. Uh, Travis and, and Dale and I have actually been talking about, um, because there's so much in some of these passages that we teach from, and, and there's so much that that we have to cover that we don't necessarily have time for. We've been talking about adding um, a little episode to our podcasts where we might sit down and sort of discuss these scriptures a little bit more. So maybe we'll take this um, in the coming weeks and we'll unpack it a little bit more. Um, But I want to focus in another aspect of the Lord's Supper here today. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, central to what we do here, we, we... choose at Cypher Christian Church to take communion every single Sunday because it's so central to our faith. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, there are three directions, in a sense, in which we look when we take of communion. And if there's anything that we, that we do well when we partake of communion, if there's anything that we do well when we take communion each week, it's that we remember right? We look backwards. And so the first direction that we look when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is backwards. The Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of that Passover meal that happened in the Old Testament in which God delivered his people from their oppressor. Blood of an unblemished lamb was placed on a doorpost 
And that signaled to the angel of the Lord to pass over that home when it saw the blood of the lamb. And Jesus at the Lord's Supper reinterpreted that Passover meal. He reinterpreted it through the new covenant in which he would give his own life, this unblemished sacrifice, the sacrifice of the lamb would be laid down and and placed over our lives so that we might have life. We talked about how the cross is an altar, right? The cross is is an altar where this perfect sacrifice was made. We, We often think of communion as we sort of treat it like an altar, but the altar is the cross where Jesus gave his life as an offering to God. The table is where we enjoy the benefits of that altar. And so we encouraged one another last week to celebrate the table, to enjoy the benefits of the life and the freedom that we have in Christ at the communion table. But Jesus, he commands us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is a passage we're gonna be looking at here this morning, he commands us as his disciples eat this meal together to do this in what? Remembrance of him. In remembrance of him. Now, again, this is what we do well. We remember, in fact, many of us who grew up in church um, had, a, had a table maybe at the front of the church, a communion table that had the words, do this in remembrance of me, etched in it, engraved in it. This is something that we do well, is to look backward and to remember. But make no mistake, this, this remembering is not a funeral dirge, Right? It's not this sad, somber moment in the middle of the service where we sort of heap guilt and shame upon our shoulders and upon our lives. It's a Thanksgiving feast. This meal is where we enjoy the benefits of the table. We look backward to the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross as a fulfillment of this Passover, and we celebrate it. So the first way in which we we look when we partake of the Lord's Supper is to look to the past, to look backward. I want you to to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, and I'm going to read this passage. I believe the words are going to be up on the screen for you. And I want to read this as we sort of move forward a little bit more. For I received from the Lord, Paul says, In chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that last passage, that last sentence there, verse 26, says something more about the Lord's Supper and which way we are to look. While we gaze backward to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, there are ways in which we look to the now. We look to the present. First of all, 
And again, kind of looking back to, to last Sunday, we talked about how we believe that Jesus is present with us when we take communion. So it's not just a memorial where we're looking back to the life he lived. Remember, we serve a risen savior, a God who is alive. And we believe that when we partake of communion that Jesus is present with us in that moment. And so that's the first way in which we look to the present. But there's also the fact that we all need the gospel right now. I think think it's natural for us as we grow in our discipleship to, to believe that the gospel is something that we accepted at one time. That that was something that happened long ago in our past and sort of I'm beyond that now. I'm living my life now. Some people believe it's more like a get out of jail free card. It's just something that they did escape eternal damnation. But what I want to remind us of this morning is that the gospel is something you need right now. Right now. I'm still in need of a savior. Every day, I am still in need of someone to deliver me from my sins. Yes, Jesus did that for me on that day when I was, when I was about 11 years old and I gave my life to the Lord, but I need him now just as much as I did that day. And so the gospel isn't something that you sort of you know, checked off your list way back then. We all, as confessed sinners, need the gospel every single hour. I need thee every hour, the hymn says. Fanny Crosby wrote, I need thee, Lord, I need thee every hour, I need thee. And so we don't just look to the past, we look to the present right now. And we declare to to God that we need the gospel. But there's even something more that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. He says, we proclaim his death until he comes. Now, you know, we don't necessarily say anything when we're eating of this meal. So how exactly is it that we proclaim his death as we take of the Lord's Supper? You see, when we, when we celebrate this meal together, we're not only testifying to one another. We're not only proclaiming it to one another, we're proclaiming it to the world. Now, just because we're in this room and, and, and the world is beyond these walls, we can't ignore the fact that the world knows that we're meeting right now. That this is a public gathering at a public time where everyone is welcome to participate. And so just by this meal, having this meal at these publicly observed times, we are declaring to the world that Jesus is Lord. They know that Christians are gathering together to celebrate what Jesus did on on the cross. They know that Christians are gathering together to celebrate the hope of the resurrection. And so just by meeting, just by taking of this meal, we are proclaiming to the world that Jesus is our savior. Of course, that testimony is only valid though if we're actually living lives as disciples throughout the week, right? It does no good for us to gather here 
to celebrate the life and the hope and the grace that we have if we're not willing to give away that grace and give away that forgiveness and share that hope on a regular basis. People have reduced the word Christian to to anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus or, or, or who calls himself one. And the Lord's Supper has been reduced to a half-hearted ritual for a lot of people. Communion is, is just taken. It's something that, that we take, right? It's not something that we see that the Lord gives us. The Lord's Supper calls us to a life of obedience and devotion. And so if we're not carrying this message outside of of these walls, then it does it really does no good. We're proclaiming just an empty, empty announcement. And when we gather together to take of the Lord's Supper, it's reminding us of our need for a Savior and to send us out into the world to proclaim it to others. And so as often as we eat this bread and drink of this cup, we are we're reminded and we are empowered to testify about Jesus. And so if, if you haven't caught on yet, this is your chance. One of the ways in which we look, look in a direction when we take of the Lord's Supper is to the past. Damon's there, man. He's there. He's already ahead of me. We look to the past. We look to the present now. But we also look to the future. And that's what this message is about here today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he He commands us to do this until he comes. We proclaim his death until he comes. And so, in addition to the past and the present, we're looking to something more. The Passover and the Lord's Supper, these meals, find their total fulfillment in this great banquet, the great marriage feast of the lamb that we find in Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse six through 10. I wanna look at this with you guys together. This is John speaking in his revelation of God. He says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then it says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that? What is that? And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down, John saying, I fell down at his feet to worship him, this angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. He redirects John's eyes for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
What is the marriage supper of the Lamb? All throughout Scripture, it's pointing us to this moment here. And especially in the, in the New Testament, we find that the true disciples of Jesus are referred to as the bride of Christ. You may be familiar with, with that term. And this, this imagery helps us show how Jesus relates to his people. It shows us how he loves us, how he cares for us, how he's willing to pursue us. It shows us why he's jealous for us, right? Because he desires his people for his own. He loves his people. It also tells us what he would do for his bride, how he would lay down his life for her. And at the time that Revelation was written, a marriage included several different aspects that I'm kind of excited about that I want to share with you here this morning. And so hopefully you kind of get, to get excited about this as well because it, it unveils scripture for me a little bit. The first part of a marriage included an agreement. This is during the time Revelation was, was written. The first part of this marriage included an agreement between the parents of the bride and the groom. Sometimes it happened when, when the children were very young. They came into this agreement. And at the time of this agreement, it, in, it included an amount paid to the father of the bride. And this, this amount, this amount uh, showed, demonstrated, displayed the groom's worthiness to the bride what he was willing to do to marry this bride, what he was willing to give in this bride price for this bride. And so the New Testament builds on this analogy where we were the chosen people. The Father chose us to be his beloved son's loving bride. Scripture tells us in Ephesians, this is the New Testament, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. God chose us. The bride price Jesus paid was the most expensive price ever paid for a bride, especially given how impure we are, right? Especially given how no other groom would in his right mind want to wed us with all of our flaws, with all of our, our impurities, how we, how we chase after other things. And yet Jesus paid the ultimate price for our lives. We were covered in sin and shame and yet he laid down his life to enter a covenant, an agreement with us and a an agreement with us to provide for us, to nurture us, and to protect us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought at a what? A price. Jesus entered into an agreement, a covenant with us. Really, even before there was time, God chose us. And so the second step in a marriage Again, this is all before the actual ceremony. That's what we think of. But in this time, there were this, these steps in this process. So the second step would be that the groom would return to his home 
After he entered into this agreement with this bride, with this woman, he would return to his home to prepare a place to live. This is what Jesus told his followers. Do you remember in John 14 too? He said, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When he ascended into heaven, this is what he was going to do. This is what he declared to his followers. And so then after the the, the groom returned to his home to prepare a place for his bride, at a determined time that was unknown to the bride, the groom would return. But prior to that, his messengers, his friends, part of his wedding party would go before him to signal his coming. Are you following me? The Lord is gonna return one day for his precious bride with a shout announcing his coming. First Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. Jesus is gonna return for his bride, the church, the true followers, his true church, his disciples who love and obey him. And so after he returns for his bride, the groom then and the bride together would have the wedding ceremony. And after the wedding ceremony, there'd be a great feast, a banquet. And this is what I dig about this culture. It would last up to seven days, man. That's a party, right? And many more people would be invited to this feast than were just to the, to the marriage ceremony. This would be a huge party. And this is the moment we find ourselves looking at in Revelation chapter 19. Verse nine says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Now it's amazing enough for us to think that we would be invited to this, to this banquet that we would be considered worthy enough to be invited inside this place to celebrate this marriage and this feast. But we, church, are the bride of Christ. We are not just fellow spectators. We're not just friends, associates. We are the bride of Christ. The one whom all of these people are gathered to celebrate together We will be rescued from a home full of pain and full of suffering and full of difficulty and full of things that don't satisfy us. We spend our lives chasing after these things that that just don't quite meet our expectations. I mean, if you're fully honest and transparent, some of the greatest moments in your life, don't they just sometimes fall just a little short? That's telling us something. That's telling us that there's something more. If our, if our bodies, if our minds, if our hearts have this hunger and have this thirst and have this desire, C.S. Lewis says, then there must be something out there that can satisfy it. And that's what all of these things are pointing to. They're pointing to this great banquet, this feast, the marriage supper of the lamb where we will feast in the presence of God. 
We're going to do a, a series, Dale and I have been talking about uh, an upcoming series on heaven. And we're going to delve into this a lot more and look at what it's going to be like when we're s- spending eternity in the presence of God. But I can't help but ignore the fact that heaven will be a place where we will eat real food with real bodies. And you may not be with me on that just yet, but I promise you that this is that scripture teaches us this. Jesus in his resurrected body was proof of this. Jesus actually, after the resurrection, met with his disciples and said, give me some food to eat. We were talking about this just before the service, not, not only just to, to prove that he was, he was a real man, but he was probably hungry. He hadn't eaten in three days. And so we will eat real food with real resurrected bodies. We will have resurrected taste buds. Can you imagine what that's going to taste like? You and I, think about this. You and I have never touched a meal, have never eaten anything that wasn't blemished by the fall. We've never known, I mean, every food source, scripture teaches us that the whole earth was affected by the curse. And so every food source has been affected by it, which means we haven't tasted anything like Adam and Eve did when they were in that perfect relationship with the Lord. We're gonna have resurrected taste buds. Now, if you think this is trivial, if you think this is something that's kind of like, well, Kevin, I mean, you're focused on something that's really small here. Remember that the Lord God promises us this banquet. And not only does he promise us this banquet, but in Isaiah 25, he says, on this mountain, this is Isaiah looking toward this great feast. He says, the Lord of hosts check this out, we'll make for all the peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, that sounds gross, of aged wine well-refined. I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna pass on the marrow. All the meals that you have ever tasted have been pointing toward this one. All of the meals that Adam and Eve even had are pointing toward this one. The Passover meal finds its completeness in this one. The Lord's Supper finds its completeness in this. It's all looking, the richest, think about the best meal you've ever had in your life. The richest food, the most savory flavors, your most enjoyable meal that you sort of measure every other meal with falls short of this great banquet. At a table with the living God for eternity. Those special moments that we have with friends and and family, enjoying the best of what life has to offer. If you think of those moments that you've had, those celebrations, those big moments in life where you have feasted with friends and family and just enjoyed the goodness of God. You've, you've, those moments where you're like, you're aware of it. Like in the moment you sort of step back and everybody's kind of talking, you think, what a blessing, you know? Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? 
where you, you actually recognize the goodness of God in that moment, his blessing in your life, and you can almost feel his presence with you right there, like tangible, like manifest in that moment. That moment was given a name by the Celts, the Christian Celts. And they called this moment, this place, if you will, the thin place, where the division between heaven and earth collapsed, and it was so very thin, you could almost touch it. I've, I've experienced this a few times. I remember as, as, uh, as a young father, I remember holding our little girl. I had the early morning shift, you know, and I remember going into her, her room and sitting there in the, in the glider as the sun was coming in and giving her a bottle and experiencing that thin place there. Same with my son. I cherished those, I really looked forward, I'm not a morning person, trust me, and I looked forward to those moments each morning. I've experienced it with, with friends and family seated uh, around the table for sure. Um, I've experienced it with the death of close, close friends and have had the heavy, humble, um, humbling privilege of like being there when someone passed from this life to the next. The death of my grandmother and being there hours you know, before my father passed away. A thin, thin place. But this, this thin place isn't, um, it's not a specific location. It's not a locale, you know? It's not a place that you can point to on a map. It's not even a sacred space, what we would call a sacred space. These thin places are ordinary. And as followers and believers in God, we're sort of called to live in that thin place where we're always recognizing the presence of God around us. And man, I most often, this may sound cheesy to you, but I really truly most often feel this around a table. It's not those big, beautiful moments where light is streaming in the window and it's just perfect in all of its, you know, circumstance, but those ordinary times of life I feel the presence of God. It's often with friends and family around a table. I'm gonna stop here for a moment. I've got more. Don't you worry. <laughs> and we're gonna talk about this a little bit more, but I, I'm gonna choose to stop here and let's celebrate the Lord's Supper, okay? Um, I'm gonna ask our communion servers to come up to the front and to prepare their stations. I'll tell you, just a reminder for those of you who, who are, are new here or haven't been here in a while, we choose to celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday and we do so by dipping it. So we'll have our servers up here and they're gonna give you a piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take that piece and the other server will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And you'll dip it into the cup.
And so we encourage you to, to come to the table. But remember, this is a communal thing that we do together. It's not something where we sort of turn inward and we're focused on ourselves. We're, we're celebrating the fellowship that we have with God and with one another. And so again, I'm gonna encourage you like we did last week to truly celebrate this. And, and I want you to, uh, to stand and to kind of emphasize this. Everybody stand up. I know, I know, a little different. Everybody stand up. And we're going to read some words that are, that are on the screen together to remind us of this celebration. And then we're going to talk a little bit more in, in a few minutes, a little bit more about this wedding feast. And so I'll read the first line. You guys read what's bolded and italicized. Welcome to this glad hour and to this table. Let each find their place in good company. For what reason are we gathered in this place? We are gathered for oh, wow, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> we are gathered for a what? Celebration. Why are we called to this table? And what do we feast here? What do we celebrate? So now set sorrows aside or hold them loosely at least for a few moments and accept this invitation to feasting and gladness for it is a foretaste of the great banquet to come. And now may our sovereign Lord who purposefully wove our stories together be present at this table that our feasting and our fellowship indeed that our very gladness might resound as praise of his enduring goodness. And may this feast be an echo of that great supper of the Lamb, a foreshadowing of the great celebration that awaits the children of God. And now you who are loved by the Father, prepare your hearts and give yourselves wholly to this celebration of joy, to the glad company of saints, to this comforting fellowship of the Spirit and to the abiding presence of Christ who is crucified and risen, the one high priest of the true sanctuary, the same one who offers and is offered, who gives and is given. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take feast and enjoy the benefits of being called a child of God. Amen. Amen. And again, I encourage you to re-envision the table and enjoy the benefits of being called a child of God. Won't you come? We're going to continue here, and we're going to continue to celebrate. But what I want to close on is this. Who is going to be at this wedding feast? Who's going to be at this marriage supper? First, it's those who've accepted Christ. It's the true church. It's the disciples of Jesus. It's followers who have chosen to follow him with all of their lives to live for his glory to be fully devoted is how we say it here at Cypher Christian Church fully devoted in our worship of him fully devoted in how we give of our our talents and our gifts 
fully devoted in our relationships, loving others, forgiving others, giving grace to others. And so if you haven't, if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus here today, that's where you find yourself today and you want to be seated. There is a seat at this table for you. There is a seat at this feast for you. And all we have to do is accept this invitation. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open up the door, I will enter in. And what does he say? I will come eat with you. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart this morning. And if you want to sit at this table with broken sinners just like me, invite him in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened by the Christians, the believers, followers of Jesus who choose not to go to church. Scripture tells us in Hebrews, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Why? Because the day is approaching. He said, he says, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our future is a seat at this great banquet with millions of fellow believers, and there's a seat for you. But isn't it ironic that there are believers who choose to separate themselves from the church? Now, look, the church is broken. It's got hypocrites. The church wounds people and hurts people. All that is true, but is it any reason not to choose to fellowship with them? Scripture tells us not to give it up to continue doing it as the day draws near. Isn't it ironic that someone would choose to separate themselves from the church only to spend eternity with the church in this great meal? I encourage you to continue fellowshipping with other believers as scripture calls us to do. So who's gonna be at the wedding feast? These followers of Jesus, the true church, But who else is going to be there? Those who have yet to accept Jesus as their Lord. Those believers who will accept the Lord as their Savior. And who are those people? Jesus says, and Luke, I know I'm shooting a bunch of scriptures at you. If you want them, I'll send them to you. I'll give them to you. But there's so much here. Jesus says in Luke, when you give a dinner or a banquet... He says, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. We need to live toward this vision. We need to have eyes for those who are marginalized, who are on the outskirts, who don't know Jesus, who aren't like us. We need to be a people who are open and generous and hospitable to those, to be living with this great banquet in mind, 
knowing that we've been given a seat at the table, why would we reserve a spot for just the people that we love and the people that we know? We need to reach out to our coworkers, to our friends and our neighbors and show them the same grace that God has shown us. We need to reclaim the art of table fellowship. That's what this has all been about. And invite people to have a seat at the table with us. And I pray that that if you have a decision to make to follow Jesus as your Lord, to accept him, to invite him into your heart, that you'd make that decision. Our prayer partner's up here and they're in the back. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, that there would be a name on your mind or on your heart, a person, or that you would ask God to, to open up your vision to those who need a place at the table. And maybe you would be the one to invite them. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this day and all that we've celebrated. And I know that this Lord's Supper is small and it's just a tiny piece of bread and a tiny bit of of juice and it's weird calling it a feast, but Lord, it's pointing us to something so grand and so huge and so big. And it tells us, Lord, that this life, this world is not as good as it gets. And so give us a vision for that day where we will be united with you for all of eternity and celebrate the benefits of the cross, to celebrate the benefits of being called a child of God. Father, move our hearts here today. Move our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask uh, Joey and Michaela to come up front. And we're going to honor our 2019 graduates before we close. All right. Thanks for making me follow that. Appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have some graduating seniors in our group right now. And um, me and Michaela are up here representing the student ministry. Uh, There are many volunteers, but Michaela is the high school girls leader am I in the high school boys leader so I guess that's why we're up here Um, at this time we'd like to invite any graduating senior to uh, come up here please and make a line we have a gift for you and we'd like to uh, pray over you so we have we have a book because you didn't read enough in school it is C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity It's a fantastic book. I know we have more than two graduating seniors. I have a lot of books here. What's that? Y'all have prom on Sunday morning? Wow. Okay. So those who aren't here, we will get you your books. But now that we have two, would you like to tell us who you are, where you're graduating from, and what your plans are? Uh, for y'all that don't know me, I am Coleman Ferrier. Um, <laughs> stop. <laughs> uh, I'm graduating from uh, Clyde High School, and I am headed off to Ravencrest, uh, which is in Estes Park, Colorado, as a Bible college for one year. That's the first step, yeah. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Jordan. I'm graduating from Cywoods High School and probably going to Lamar College, which is in Beaumont. Thank you. Um, Yeah, there's Coleman and Jordan together, and Coleman in a somewhat similar shirt. Before before we pray, I'm very sorry, but I have to comment. This shirt is very famous in student ministry. It's not our favorite shirt, but it has been everywhere. It has been to the mountains in Colorado. It has served many ministries in the Houston area. Um, I believe it's been to the Waffle House in Amarillo. Uh, It's been a lot. There's been talks of hanging it from the rafters in the Foundation Center, kind of like a retired jersey. Um, I have an extra one. But we thought maybe we'd treat it like a LeBron jersey after he left Cleveland and burn it in the parking lot. Okay, at this time, uh, any other student volunteers, if y'all would please like to come up, uh, and parents, uh, if your student is up here, but you're still a parent, if you'd like to come up, uh, we'd like to lay hands on these guys and pray for them as they head out. Lord, we just, we thank you for these young men that are up here. Uh, we thank you for the young men and the young women who aren't here this morning. Uh, we thank you for placing them in our lives, uh, placing them here at Cypher Christian Church. They have blessed our lives. We have blessed this church. Um, they have already changed the world with their presence in it. Uh, we ask that as they continue to go out into the world, that they be a light and a beacon to the world. Uh, we ask that the foundation that has been set here at Cypher Christian Church and at home uh, be a foundation of rock that they stand on as they, they head out to the world. Um, we are excited and anxious to see how they change the world, Lord, because we know that they will, and we know that you are going to use them for great things. Uh, thank you for them, and thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey. Uh, we thank you, and we ask that you protect all of us as we head from this place and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. We'll dismissed.